UX Podcast Episode 185. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, Pat Axbom. And James Roy Lawson. With listeners in 175 countries from Cape Verde to Mozambique. In this episode of UX Podcast, we talk to Kelly Santiago. Formerly of That Game Company, she was part of the team behind the video games Flow, Flower and Journey. And for those of you like us who aren't gamers... Uh, Journey is an award-winning video game released for the PlayStation 3 in 2012 and the PlayStation 4 in 2015. It's won BAFTA awards, numerous Best Game awards, and been described as relentlessly beautiful. So, in Journey, um, the player takes the role of a robed figure in a desert. Um, In the distance, there is a large mountain with a glowing crevice at its peak. And that glowing crevice is the ultimate destination of the game. Your avatar can jump, emit a wordless shout or musical note, which stays in tune with the musical score playing throughout the game. Apart from the credits, there are no words shown or spoken in Journey. So we talked to Kelly um, at From Business of Buttons here in Stockholm about the process of designing, producing Journey, and what they wanted to achieve, wanted, what they wanted to achieve with the game. It was really fantastic when you said to me, you understand that people are coming from somewhere else, either they're playing another game, they're coming from work, and you want in the intro of the game to wash away mm-hmm. that previous experience, which is something in design we don't think a lot about, it's just mm-hmm. dive into the experience. But let's take, some, take a moment to reset mm-hmm. and to actually think about now we're entering this, so forget about everything else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so many, uh, so many things we interact mm-hmm. with. You can see it's like I, I guess so much of design can be about meeting the user where they are, mm-hmm. and yeah, sort of flipping that around and saying, okay, no, we want you to meet us where we are, um, and that that is possible. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're creating the game. You need to get say right now. We're in the game space. Mm-hmm. That. Yeah, and that this game space is very different than even maybe the game space you were just in if you were coming from another yeah. PlayStation game. Um, uh, m- yeah, m- much more so like whatever you were just doing in your day mm. or where you are in your life at that moment. Um, really trying to like do a reset mm. of where of where the player is. Mm. So, so for people listening, of course, uh, who are also not maybe familiar with the game, for me it was like the experience is like meditation. You enter an immersive experience, which it feels immersive. It's basically, on, of course, also on your screen, uh, on your TV. It's a PlayStation game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, very few controls. There's no timer. There's no language. So it's multiplayer, but you don't actually speak to other players. Mm-hmm. You're shaving away all the expectations that you get from other games. And you actually have this quote, which I loved. Uh, it's an invitation to have an experience you want to have mm-hmm. and not a series of punishments for not doing what we want, what we want you to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I find that, yeah, a lot of games mm. feel like the latter. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that oh. It's uh, mm. you're being taught through a series of punishments what mm. you're supposed to do and what you're mm. not supposed to do. Mm. 
Um, and that perspective, you know, it's all grounded in um, that the, the core mission, which is to create games that are accessible to a wide variety of people. And that means gamers and non-gamers, mm. right? So trying to really distill and strip out the things that are very intimidating to non-gamers um, and uh, yeah, create an experience that's um, also accessible to them while still maintaining, I think, a certain level of polish and refinement that is intriguing to core gamers or you know more experienced gamers mm. as well so so how did you go about um researching those two aspects i mean it's something that needs to be uh, sufficiently appealing to non-gamers but mm -hmm. not kind of uninteresting to, to gamers what's yeah. the process um a lot of trial and error uh really rigorous um prototyping and playtesting process so playtesting at least every two weeks through that throughout the entire game development cycle and uh, unfortunately we didn't have time to get into some of like the really early prototypes on journey you i think you can look up talks that any one of us have done on that process um, but it started with just uh, this flash prototype with a bunch of circles that, mo and it was more than two players. And so that was even a process of honing down on um, making it just a one-to-one -one interaction mm. instead of a multi more player interaction, mm. basically. Um, and trying to just uh, start with uh, a concept we took from EA, the Electronic Arts Games Company, um, called the X statement, um, which is sort of this codifying statement that all divisions um, working on a project from engineering all the way through marketing and business development could really rally around and understand, okay, what is fundamentally this experience trying to deliver to the player? Um, with Journey we and with Flower, um, we on both projects we had a process where we did refine it based on our prototyping process. So with Journey, we started with this idea of um, something along the lines of like together we can move the mountains. Um, but we found that the way we were designing for that experience led to scenarios uh, where you can see in other cooperative multiplayer games like you need two players to both pull the lever at the same time to open the door. And what we were finding is that that really made the other player feel to you like a tool, like a literal tool, oh, yeah. um, where you're using them. You're, you only are using them to accomplish what it is that mm. you want to do. And there's not that wasn't the connection um, that we were hoping to create within Journey. Mm. And so then I think I was on actually this uh, subway in New York and I saw this Thomas Aquinas quote <laughs> of, uh, we all walk the path, but each journey is different. Mm. And that was something that then res resonated more with what we felt in our hearts we were building and then allowed us to feel more aligned in making decisions uh, across the board and game mechanics and art direction um, to, to create that kind of experience. So it really focused more on the little nuances of how each journey can be different, but then also that, that possibility um, and joy that can, be, that can be created just by meeting another person in that experience. Mm. When you when, say when you did the the playtesting, I can imagine that normally you get the, the gamers are really quick to kind of take up those kind of offers because mm -hmm. there's there'd be a community around 
taking part in this beta testing and kind of early testing of things. Mm -hmm. Given the goal to, to incl be inclusive and bring mm -hmm. in non-gamers, how was the how was the recruitment around that kind of side of things? Yeah, so our process usually evolved from in the early stages of our projects, um, we would have uh, our sort of game design gurus, our mentors, professors, people who we really respected um, to come in and try those very early rough prototypes because those are the people where we would sit down and we would talk about here are the things we're trying to achieve now play it and they're really able to connect the dots and also articulate extremely well like how we're missing the mark or okay. the ways in which we're hitting the mark and so that really helps sort of drive development forward um, and then it, then it would expand into um, game design students, so also people with a certain amount of literacy and articulation, um, so you can mm, present to them, you know, messier versions, um, but still get useful information out of that. And then marching towards maybe the last half to the last third of development, then uh, really going for um, just general, you know, your traditional sort of user test pools where you're marking off uh, what kind of people you're looking for and what kind of background in games they may or may not have. And, um, and so doing the sort of more traditional user testing in that way and just having them play, ask them questions after. That actually, may, I don't know if this is offensive even. <laughs> That makes me think of the Wii, because that's, that's oh, how people that... thought of the Wii, that it actually introduced new people who weren't gaming before yeah. to actually become gamers. Yeah. You found a new, Family way, new way of interacting with, with a console. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. the Wii was so mm. magical mm. in that way. Definitely one of my favorite consoles mm. of all time. You said something else that uh, for me was so simple and so fantastically profound. Uh, being an introvert, uh, hmm. just based on this concept of you not having language when other players appear. Uh, and you said um, uh, you can only communicate through the act of being near one another. Mm -hmm. And that's exa exactly how I feel as an introvert. That's, for me, when I unwind, that's what I need. It's fine for people to be close to me, but just don't talk. But <laughs> let's just sit here together for a couple of hours. And that, mm -hmm. that's how I get my energy back. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, I don't know what you, there is a, if there's a question in there, but <laughs> <laughs> I wanted you to know that that's, that resonates so much with me. But what's so interesting to me as well is you're not only attracting the non-gamers, but you're also attracting the people who have games or play so many other games and the action games and the war games and whatever. And yeah. why is that, do you think? So I think in part we were very fortunate in that the PlayStation Network audience, um, I remember at one point, I think it was when we were developing on Flower, but they sort of market researched a survey and found that their, uh, among their top three genres of choice was experimental. Um, so I can't speak to any other audience, but I know that that audience in particular was really interested in new types of experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, that said, I think Journey was an interesting hat trick of sorts in that it had uh, many of the sort of methods and philosophies of experimentation of our previous projects, but it was grounded in some 
known video game tropes. Like you had an avatar that you were playing as moving through a 3D environment, whereas Flow and Flower were much more abstract mm. um, in their in their sort of execution of ideas. Um, and so I, I think that helps um, bring in a lot of people. Um, there is also just an amazing amount of people who are starving for uh, console game experiences that they can share in their household. Oh, yeah. Um, so people that have felt isolated mm. or alienated for one reason or another because mm. of their love for video games and that this game gave them an opportunity to bring in someone who was very close to them but with whom they had sort of hidden their video game life mm. up until that point or at least that other person didn't really get it and they felt like journey showed what it was that they loved so much mm. and presented it in a way that was accessible to someone who mm. isn't that familiar with video games so that was always again like one of the goals but you never know for sure if it's going to work until it's out there. Um, so that was amazing to find out. Mm. It's interesting. You mentioned that um, I think you did some aspects of, of, of um, a journey. You were trying to affect the, the, you, the player's behavior. Mm -hmm. you, there was certain aspects of the design of it were deliberately done to affect how they behave. Yeah. Um, and it made me think and reflect on how we see kind of like, we have arguments constantly about violence in video games mm -hmm. and how violent video games don't affect your behavior. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And I started to wonder about the connection there. I mean, we're talking about deliberate design of certain things to, yeah. to f affect your behavior through the game. Yeah, well, yeah. I remember, and I, I, I mentioned this on stage, but I just, it was such an aha moment for me mm. in realizing that the the common especially console online multiplayer game experience of logging in and uh, getting cursed at by kids somewhere uh. in the world and you just <laughs> like okay i'm never engaging this in this mm -hmm. again um uh in those games saying things that are provocative is a strategy to win those games i mm -hmm. mean it's so um, it is absolutely a part of the way those games are designed um, when you need really fast responses. You need to have those fast twitch controls. Um, as an opponent, I'm going to try and do whatever I can to like throw you off of that. Um, so there is a lot of um, control we have as designers in, um, in designing the way people even interact with each other in online spaces. And mm. so that was definitely one of the theories going into Journey. Our, our high like mission statement in a way um, was, I, I just remember in early pitch decks, we were saying like, if that's the uh, typical console online game experience is this like uh, negative experience. We want to create the online console game experience that makes you feel a renewed sense of faith in humanity. Mm. <laughs> so oh, like, nice. Can we hit this like high watermark? Yeah. <laughs> it's excellent. Because <laughs> when you said that on stage, because you said un unequivocally yes is what you said on stage, that mm -hmm. we can use design to actually change how people behave. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking, well, that's Twitter. I mean, Twitter could probably design in a different way to encourage people not to harass each other. Right, there, yeah. There's a design solution for that that we that's probably we could pursue. They design that's, choices. Yeah, somebody's choosing not to do, to pursue that. Yeah, I think uh, the yeah. same mm. of uh, Facebook, mm. like yeah. um, when, you know, hearing mm. stories mm. from people of sort of the surprising or more provocative things that maybe the people in their friends list are saying. Mm. And I would love, I love having open discussions with, uh, 
different views on a given subject, mm. but I do not find Facebook a very conducive environment yeah. in which to have those conversations. So it's this real mismatch of, of what is done and expected on the platform versus like what it really supports. Mm. And it creates that tension. Mm. So true. Uh, another aspect I really want to touch upon as well was you were talking about uh, constraints and limitations uh, that actually form how you work. Mm -hmm. uh, so t tell us about the arms. Just briefly. Yeah, I know. I love it because yeah. it's always like the not sexy yeah. Um, yeah. thing to talk about with game design. Yeah. Like you, you love to hear about the creative director, yeah. auteur, and they're executing <laughs> on their vision. But there are all these. And what I love about it is like there are these ways in which it intersects with the specifics of the technology and also the the team that you have to work with. And so um, Journey at its max was 13 people. Um, so one of the sort of clear, um, the stories that I love to tell about that, that process is that uh, early on we had an avatar that had arms. And so you, um, w we found that when people were playing in that version, they expected to be able to climb things and also push or pull on the characters or objects. Um, and it's not, we would have loved to do that version of the game, but um, in specking it out and through our prototyping process, we realized we would never be able to support uh, that level of animation and rigging and all the art assets that were required for that. Uh, so we cut off the arms. <laughs> we leaned into the assets that we did have, which is a strong graphics engineer um, who created an amazing cloth simulation. Mm. So the character has this like beautiful movement throughout the game. Um, that I think allows you to not miss the arms, but <laughs> not have the expectations of the arms. Exactly. <laughs> it was a it, the arms were a, were a feature that ultimately weren't needed, right, to, for the story. Yeah, right. I mean, it's having that um, that X statement as the thing that you're solving for always. So, mm. do we need arms to create an experience in which we all walk the path and each journey is different? No, we don't really need the arms, so we can cut that. I think having that as a priority in the design decisions really helps drive that process because the playtesting process can be really confusing. I mean, players are going to ask for all sorts of mm. things that they think they want or they say they don't want. Um, so it's important to always be uh, sort of matching that feedback along with okay, what, is, what are the goals for the experience? Because sometimes it's not always about making things easier for the player or giving them every feature they want. You know? Exactly. So that's actually my follow-up question then. Do you think the game is better because you have those constraints? Oh, so, I mean, it's so tough because mm. the game did extremely well and was game yeah. of the year many times over. So, mm. yeah, I feel... I, <laughs> but I didn't get to develop it any yeah. other way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so it is always one of those things of like, uh, do you need the pressures of the of time and resource mm. constraint? Um, I think they can definitely be very helpful in driving to decisions um, mm. that otherwise can be really difficult to make because sometimes it's just like, well, we don't have time for anything else. So this is, <laughs> we have to yeah. wrap it up. Um, most games are developed that way. Uh, and I think what what separates great games from um, good or certainly terrible games is how well you 
navigate those decisions of what to add and what to cut along your goals for the experience. Mm. I think that's the that's the hardest part. Was it a cinematic experience to produce the game? I mean, the the games are are quite. I mean, it's entertainment anyway. Mm-hmm. But but one thing that made me think definitely about the cinematic side was not only that you mentioned use of story arcs, mm-hmm. um, but also the um, the use of the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. That it, it was a score that was made for Journey. Yeah. Um, and 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 how even that impacted on the the, the storyline. Yeah, and um, we do. Um, I mean, we always considered, and I, and I know it's still uh, the case um, at that game company of the the composer being another designer on the team, really. So, uh, for most games, especially AAA games, um, it's kind of like film and television where you're you're already well into um development before you then contract the composer and so they know the scenes that they're composing over and all that stuff um but for instance um with austin winery and journey we engaged him before we had a single pixel (laughs) and uh and had him do this sort of three minute theme of the game um and there is a very tight feedback loop between design art development and um and the composer that Mm. happens Mm. uh through through our development process which i think yeah, shows in the final product for sure. But yeah, Genova and I were graduates of the USC Cinematic yeah. School I, I, of Cinematic I, I, I read Arts. that. Hence my, <laughs> hence my question. Uh. Yeah, so um, we definitely took a lot of um, learnings. I think we always felt like there were so many well-established. Um, art forms that weren't borrowed from enough in games. And so that like a lot of the things that we were doing at that game company, which seemed innovative, um, weren't really innovative at all. We were, were, you know, totally stealing from things that have been around Mm. for thousands of years. Mm. Um, But uh, being able to integrate it closely into the game development process, I guess is the, the thing that was, that we were doing differently. Um, and we were really influenced by a class we took by Bruce Block, who wrote this book, um, Visual Storytelling, and teaches a yeah. course uh, about that. And um, that's where we really learned about that process of identifying the arc of your story mm. and then aligning all elements um, of your experience to that arc. Um, and that's re- it was always really core to the design process. Yeah, I mean, I think I, mean, I hope a lot of people listening will will think about their work with websites and apps and so on, and and hope and wish that they could manage to uh, to implement some of the same process that you've done, where you've got tight feedback loops, kind of usability testing, yeah. you know, with different target audiences. Mm. Um, you know, it's yeah, the it's and story and arcs, thinking carefully considered yeah. content. Mm. I mean, there's all this kind of stuff where yeah. a lot of time we don't quite get all those pieces into position Mm. and it's so hard to make time for it Mm. sometimes um i feel really lucky that we did have such a rigorous process um and that like on journey especially we early on all we took a team trip to the pismo beach dunes um which was hugely influential in really um 
focusing on that that sand system and how it would feel and how important that was going to be to the central experience and it's one of those things i still think back like if i were doing a game today it just feels like such a luxury or like a silly thing to do to do an off-site you know about the subject and yet it does change the way you um you focus on your work and the way the team um focuses on, on the project at hand so you suddenly had tactile you had tactile experience yeah. of yeah. A, an environment that was similar to the environment in the game yeah it? and we all shared it together so mm. i think it was something that we could all um think back on and reference yeah, yeah. so you even managed to team tick the team building box as yeah. well yeah well done <laughs> <laughs> Was, so was there anything you messed up? <laughs> well, <laughs> we were all horribly burnt out by the end of it. Right, so I so. mean, I would say team building, you know, it's a mixed bag. I mm. think uh, the uh, now working at Google for the last two and a half years, it's really made me appreciate the unique dynamic of game developers specifically. It, it is this um, funny intersection of technology and art um and Mm. i and it's been amazing to me to discover uh how much i think the people working in tech as a whole don't quite understand how critical that creative expression aspect of um like how it comes into play in games and and fundamentally the way it comes into play is that it makes it really messy it's a really messy development process especially when it's your full-time job like when you have no ideas on how to make your game get better but you have to come in tomorrow (laughs) sit at your computer and do something (laughs) um well, that's very similar to how we work with websites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so you, you develop yeah. this, like, process, the, like, you mm. just come to your desk, you know, jot down your list mm. of ideas. The, there's, yeah, great designer is not mm. someone with one great idea, but someone with a hundred other ideas when they find out that first one's terrible. Mm. And, um, but it's, uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's not different from design in general. Mm. Um, but that can be different from like a much more engineering or tech focused process, yeah. right? Well, I am certainly going to actually try out the game uh, you've sold me. I mean, <laughs> e- e- even though you have the spoilers <laughs> on stage today, I'm going to try to immerse myself and not overanalyze everything. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we whipped through it on stage too. It's like, oh my gosh, we're already at the end. So, um, yeah, it'd be good to get you to sit with it for a while longer (laughs) thank you so much for joining us thank Thank you you so much i uh, i I asked uh, gally that is there anything you did wrong and and her answer was we were all terribly burnt out by the end it's it's kind of okay if we skip the whole personal health issues thing my word what a successful project yeah i have to agree i mean it's it sounds amazing and it was like they weren't many people, and I think that was a good thing because they were like a tight team with a shared vision. And uh, if you are working together in that sense, maybe you're even prepared to burn out <laughs> almost because you love what you're doing. You're so passionate about what you're doing. You're trying to achieve something together, and they had this vision of this feeling they wanted to convey in the game, and they actually managed to do it together in the end. And, uh, and of course, with the game being called Journey, and it being a journey, and yeah. producing the game itself is a journey. 
for a tight team. I mean, mm. the, the, the similarities mm. in the narrative of the, of the game itself and their work to produce the game are, are, quite, are, are quite fascinating. Oh, there's so much meta going on there. There is. And, and, when, you, and when you said personal health right there, for me, it's like th- this is a game you want to play when you are stressed, when you are having a hard time at work mm. or whatever, because this game is a mindfulness game. It can help you feel better. Completely right. And I think even the communication aspect in the game where you can be paired up with one Mm. other player who's playing the game in the world at Mm. a time and you're paired up with them and you can you can progress on the journey together through several stages if you want to. Mm. But Mm. you don't you don't do you don't communicate any more than just sing at each other or, or kind of you know, emit a, exactly. a noise. So, so no it's, it's yeah. yeah, it's kind of like it made me feel a bit, almost a little bit emotional. And that, that it's, mm. it's kind of like someone to give you a hug. Yeah, it's that kind of feeling from mm. that that kind mm. of bonding in the game. It, mm. It's it's just like a virtual mm. hug, and it's nothing. You don't need anything more than that. It's right, funny. and there's no no prejudice. It's like yes, I'm here with you. Do whatever you want, but I'll be here, and you won't have to feel alone. So the so the inclusiveness mm. of the of, of the game is um is really fascinating. Um that it it's is. been there from, from day one that they wanted to make something that was more more um accessible or yeah, um approachable uh, for, for non gamers. And um um and that I think that that comes across. I mean we've not played it yet, but just mm. looking at the visuals and, and looking at the gameplay and, and thinking of the storyline, um it's it's a very attractive game. I I, I do want to play it. Um and I, I can feel I feel relaxed just thinking about playing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same, same here. Uh, what a wonderful piece of production! But Pro- oh, production is you say production. Yeah. But is it a game or is it art or is uh, it a film? Oh, that's so interesting because it's 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 a mix of it all, isn't it? Hmm. Uh, it it is a game because everybody defines it as such. It has obviously game controls. Uh, but it's so beautifully done, and with the music, it's just you can just go into it and not think of it as a game because you are just progressing naturally. It's a, it's a flow moment, uh, and a game. It, we I don't think we mentioned it, but the game you don't it doesn't play for long. It's two to three hours, isn't yeah. it? And then, um, and then you're done. Yeah. yeah, which makes which also makes me think of it mm-hmm. as a film mm-hmm. because you know films are often two to three hours. Yeah. So th- so this has kind of a, a clear Hollywood story arc. Um, you know, narrative. Um, it's 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 the same length as a lot of Hollywood films. It's got a a, a soundtrack, which is reminiscent of of Hollywood films. Mm. Um, Kelly herself has a background in in visual arts. Yeah. Um, and and it, it, so I, I think this is a very interesting um, crossover. I, I would love research being done into how this game could be used in therapy sessions. Mm. in hospitals uh, for pe- people recovering and rehabilitation i'm i'm quite certain it it's it's it would be helpful uh, yeah no, i i can completely believe that and in that sense it also so it actually changes you as a person it can make you go from one place to another so it's this is where the ux comes in we're actually redefining uh how i feel based on what you're presenting to me and what you're encouraging me to do. Uh, yeah. So we're changing behavior, perhaps, uh, at least for the duration of the game. And afterwards, your memory of the game will hopefully help you progress outside of the game as well. 
It's um, definitely very interesting how um, how that works. And I, I mentioned in the interview, though, I think it's interesting to see how they designed this game to um, affect your behaviour. You had to kind of submerge yourself in it, and they wanted the whole opening sequence was designed to kind of transition you from from your previous gaming world or your or the real world into the game. They mm. wanted to affect you there, um, but at the same time. You know, we we hear lots of talk about how video games don't affect your behaviour. They don't make you violent in the real world, and so on. And there's lots of um, studies that have looked into that. So, so I, I think that dichotomy of of uh, tactics or elements of gameplay definitely been designed to affect your behaviour, and mm-hmm. and things in games been need you, you need to affect other players' behaviour to succeed in certain games. Yeah. Um, I think this is a oh another fascinating aspect of this we should do a short clip show of after we've played it and what we've our reflections have been then you're right we should um, <laughs> we should do that and put it on the side channel one last takeaway i think for me is the whole successful project aspect of this that one i think what came across talking to kelly is one of the main reasons why it's successful is because um they included everybody that needed to be included yes. mm. um from day zero back to the music the the, the uh, musical score that the composer was included before they started putting pixels on the screen, and I know we've talked we we've we've talked about this. It's it's really really we the projects we've been involved in where people are included early that maybe traditionally would have included later. Mm. Um, they're better. Exactly, it's such an important point. And we can see, I mean, m- music. We don't have music on most websites, mm. thankfully. Uh, but I I think maybe we. Sh- should as designers of, of web apps or websites um, put more effort into including maybe say content writers from day zero? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Which is you know, mm. music is a form of content. Mm-hmm. Words are a form of content. I don't know. Still, far too many um, uh, projects get you know the, the words get done mm. f- too late on in the in, in the process. Essentially, they should be done first. They should be part of the team. Yeah. <laughs> and included from day, day zero. <laughs> yep. Subscribe okay. to the show. It's called UX Podcast, if you don't already. Yep, there's some great shows in our back catalogue, if I may say so myself. And links related to this episode are on uxpodcast.com. And we also send them out as part of our backstage email. And that you can sign up for um, at uxpodcast.com slash backstage. Thank you for spending some time with us. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Who's there? Avenue. Ambient. <laughs> I, I can't hear you. What are you saying? Start again. Knock, knock. Who's there? Avenue. Avenue. Avenue who? <laughs> Avenue knocked on this door before. I did, yes, and I completely messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>